welcome to our Sunday show of Progressive News Network and its companion show, The Environmental Justice Report, both on Blog Talk Radio. This week it is, once again, Progressive News Network. Also, next week we should have an environmental show for all of you. Uh, if you saw the advert, you were lucky, uh, because once again, Facebook is limiting what I can do. Uh, so let me explain. All right. First of all, I'm Janine Moloff, the producer and host of this show. The advert says, the headline is, Florida law lets MDs, in other words, medical doctors, deny care. And the subheadline is, Missouri Attorney General, and in big letters, Soros. You know, Soros, the boogeyman that all anti-Semites use. Uh, you know, the fact is, very simply, there's quite a bit of what we call dog whistle code. And, and basically, you know, the phrase dog whistle or dog whistle code basically describes uh, kind of an internal language that bigots use so that people in their own little in-group know what they're talking about, but the outside world doesn't, and it, it's vague enough that it gives the bigots some plausible deniability. Now, dog whistle is used a lot with anti-Semitic neo-Nazis, and Soros has become the boogeyman, all right? You know, Soros is a billionaire. He gives to a lot of liberals and Democratic uh, candidates, and subsequently, you know, he, according to a bunch of anti-Semites and neo-Nazis, he's the source of all evil, as well as all Jews, including people like myself. Now, I'm, I'm fine with free speech. I don't believe in censorship. I, I've said this multiple times on the show. But free speech... Uh, under the First Amendment says government can't censor. It doesn't mean that those who viciously tell known and proven lies, those that slander, libel, and defame, can't be held legally accountable. They can be. All right? And so we're calling out the neo-Nazism that in my state of Missouri uh, is not just coming from Florida, but it's coming from uh, and that's what the latest guys from the newly appointed Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey. So let's, I'll read the advert to you, okay? So this past week, actually it was on May 11, 2023, Florida Governor Ron, I call him Death Santis, Ron DeSantis signed off on a new law which grants, get this, doctors, nurses, EMTs, that means paramedics, pharmacists, and insurers, in other words, insurance companies, the right to deny treatment, in other words, the right to refuse treatment based on their spurious religious or vague ethical beliefs. Now, this applies in life-threatening situations as well. Essentially, if a doctor, a nurse, a pharmacist, an EMT, in other words, a paramedic, or an insurance company disapproves of anyone's lifestyle, they are now legally permitted to refuse treatment with impunity. They can't be held legally accountable. Now, the fact that professional licensure such as MD or an RN are earned privileges and not constitutional rights, that escapes DeSantis. Even with his Ivy Law degree, I'm, I'm sorry, Ivy League degree, law degree that is, it also evades the sponsor of this bill that became law, a senator, Florida Senator Joel Rudman, who, get this, is also a practicing physician, Dr. Rudman. 
Apparently, Dr. Redmond thinks that not only does is, is MD mean made divine, but he also apparently must think that it is a right, and he can abuse that right, even though it's a privilege, any way he likes. So I'm going to discuss this vile law in detail and, you know, suggest a few strategies to fight this, what can only be called state-sanctioned discrimination. That's our big story. Now, I'm also going to discuss the not-so-subtle use of an anti-Semitic trope. Now, a trope is basically code words, code phrases, stories that have two meanings, okay? There's the literal meaning, all right? And then there's the below-the-surface meaning, and that's what the bigots know. And, you know, tropes would have been, for instance, you know, Shakespeare's creation of the Jewish character Shylock is wanting to cheat everybody. Shylock is an anti-Semitic trope because it tries to paint the entire Jewish people with one brushstroke, okay? Um, you know, the old... Um, you know, Jewish bankers, the big folk. No, it's all, those are anti-Semitic tropes. Make no mistake about it. And the big anti-Semitic trope nowadays is Soros. Okay? You see the name Soros has been um, wielded about by neo-Nazis like Viktor Orban. It's been wielded by Steve Bannon. Um, you know, you could just go down the line, all right? It's Soros you know, how dare Soros become wealthy and then try and help liberal causes. Oh, my goodness. So this is, you know, basically a trigger. Make no mistake about it. Uh, these racist and anti-Semitic bigots, one of their triggers is President Obama, okay, for racism. Soros is the Jewish equivalent of that. It's a trigger. So this not-so-subtle use of an anti-Semitic trope that by the newly installed Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey. See, Mr. Bailey retweeted this trope on his his own Twitter page. It's right there. In fact, I copied and pasted it just in case he decides to delete it. Now, Mr. Bailey, at the same time, has systemically attacked the civil rights of citizens who are trans, gay, in addition to furthering the cause of book bans. Now, Ironically, Mr. Bailey also joined a group of other state-level attorneys, attorney generals, that is, to accuse the Biden administration and the DOJ and the FBI of religious discrimination against his own religion, Catholicism, you know, which is ironic because President Biden is also a practicing Catholic. So apparently, Andrew Bailey has no such concerns about religious discrimination and certain attacks on Jews. So his hypocrisy and privilege is beyond vile. Then, hopefully my voice will hold out, our new feature, of course, My Little Margie, all about Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, this week, Margie gets into a fight with a reputed um, and, and, you know, really respected Congressman Jamal Bowman, and she makes sure to use the same type of language that Let's put it, brought on the lynch mob, and Congressman Bowman calls her on it. He says what she's doing, the kind of, of little tropes she's using, racist tropes, is exactly the kind of language that incited the lynch mob that murdered that little boy, the, the young man, Emmett Till. So, and, 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 you know, 
maybe our little Margie is just confused because, you know, Congressman Bowman uses so many big words. You know, maybe Margie needs to go back to seventh grade, you know, because Congressman Bowman was a middle school principal, you know, before he became a congressman. And, of course, we will have our Jackass of the Week Award. So let's start. Before we get into it, I want to issue one little warning. Take a little drink here so my voice holds up. Reminder, this is a live show. All right. It's live. There's no editing. There's no re-recording. None of it. You're you're doing you're listening to it as I'm actually presenting it. I do have a, uh, an outline, but it is. If we get callers, again, apparently I need to remind a few people, this isn't that kind of show. All right. I really don't have much use for commenters. I'm gonna be honest with you. To me, that type of armchair quarterbacking is not only irritating; it's kind of ignorant. Um, it's akin to what a lot of performers would call upstaging, you know, where they want to bring the attention on them without actually earning it. Um, sometimes conservatives want to come on and they want to uh, monopolize our time. They don't pay for this time. We do. And I won't have people freeloading on the time we pay for. I'm just going to put a language that they can understand. And if I decide to take calls, it won't be until the last 15 minutes of the show. And this is a two-hour show usually. A lot of times we end early, but we allow two hours. So if you call before then, I'm not going to answer. And I really don't care if you get mad at all. Because once again, tired of the, you know, basically the remarks from the peanut gallery, um, because nowadays everybody's a self-professed expert without having to actually do the, you know, hard work of earning that title. Anyway, let's go on with the show. So the first story is about this new health care law in Florida. And it's not hyperbole. That's the sad part of it. So... On May 11th, 2023, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed SB 1580. Now, this is, um, as let's see, as quoted by the HastingsCenter.org in a bioethics form essay. Um, the the actual title of the essay is "Legalized Medical Discrimination." Violates Medical Ethics, the author is Craig Klugman. Now, it should be mentioned that the Hastings Center um, really deals with the idea of medical ethics. Craig Klugman, Ph.D., the author of this piece, is also the Vincent DePaul Professor of Bioethics and Health Humanities at DePaul University, which is a Catholic university. should be mentioned. So, You know, Mr. DeSantis and other conservative Catholics have a problem with it. They need to grow up. So according to the article, I'm just going to read it from the article itself. Quote, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis recently signed SB 1580, a bill that shields health care providers, institutions, and insurers who decline to treat patients or refuse to pay for care when they have what is considered, quote, Conscience-based objections, meaning, quote, sincerely held religious, moral, or ethical beliefs, end quote. 
Now, the article goes on to say the following, quote, under this law, an EMT, in other words, paramedic, who arrives at a scene like the 2016 Pulse Club shooting in Orlando, could refuse to transport because being gay or trans goes against their beliefs. And an insurance company could deny coverage for gender-affirming care or even COVID vaccines because of its leaders' sincerely held conscience-based objections. It goes on to say, quote, the law not only buffers health care workers and companies from civil lawsuits, but also prevents any state agency or licensing board from taking action against them, end quote. Wow. You have to really take that in. They are basically granting a permit to doctors, nurses, paramedics, pharmacists, hospitals, healthcare centers, and insurance companies, granting them a permit to discriminate and, and through the discrimination, through their hatred, deny health care to people they don't like. That's it. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> that is truly frightening. So, the article goes on to say, quote, in short, the law permits healthcare workers and institutions to discriminate against their patients and potential patients without any limits or protection for patient well-being, end quote. Now, according to this article and according to the author, Dr. Dr. Klugman, the American Medical Association had something to say. Okay, let's look at it. Right, I lost my place, folks. Okay. So apparently the American Medical Association's Council on Ethical and Judicial Affairs has written that, quote, doctors have the right to follow their moral conscience, but within limits. And that is as documented by their council, AMA Association. There's a quote from that statement, quote, physicians are expected to provide care in emergencies, honor patients' informed decisions to refuse life-sustaining treatment, and respect basic civil liberties and not discriminate against individuals in deciding whether to enter into a professional relationship with a new patient, end quote. According to this article, this means that those same physicians cannot refuse to, quote, provide care in emergency situations when no other qualified professional is available, Discriminating against patients in, 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 uh, let me start again. This means that a physician, let me start that again. This means that a physician cannot decline to, quote, provide care in emergency situations when no other qualified professional is available. Discriminating against patients, imposing care against a competent patient's informed refusal, end quote. All of those things that the AMA said a physician is not allowed to do would all be legal under Florida's new law. Now, Dr. Klugman also cites the World Medical Association's International Code of Medical Ethics. Principle number two, as documented by the, by the WMA.net, says the following, quote, the physician must practice medicine fairly and justly and provide care based on the patient's health needs without bias or engaging in discriminatory conduct on the basis of age, 
disease, or disability, creed, ethnic origin, gender, nationality, political affiliation, race, culture, sexual orientation, social standing, or any other factor, end quote. <coughs> Excuse me, folks. <coughs> Having a little problem here today. Everybody's been mowing their lawns, and I am deathly allergic, so that's the coughing today. Give me one second here. So that's what the World Medical Association has to say in their International Code of Medical Ethics. Now, besides the fact that this new law that DeSantis signed off on conflicts with both the AMA and International Medical Ethics, this new law also conflicts with federal law. See, this new law from Florida, SB 1580, according to this article, quote, SB 1580 directly contradicts the 1986 Federal Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, which requires Medicare participating hospital emergency departments to screen and stabilize patients who request examination or treatment for an emergency medical condition, regardless of their ability to pay, end quote. Okay, so here's the kicker. The sponsor of this bill, SB 1580, that DeSantis signed into law, Senator Joel Rudman, is also a medical doctor. He runs a clinic in Florida still. You know, I, Dr. Rudman. So this past week, I called Dr. Rudman's clinic, and I asked the um, – I guess it was the receptionist. Does Dr. Rudman refuse treatment to members of the LGBTQ community? Does he refuse treatment to religious minorities? In other words, non-Catholic. Dr. Rudman's a practicing Catholic. Says so on his web. But would Dr. Rudman refuse treatment to Muslims or Jews, for instance, or atheists? And the girl said, oh, no, not, no, never. Well, then I told her, well, Dr. Rudman, who is also a state senator in Florida, sponsored this bill that just became law on May 11th, which says that he does have the right to refuse treatment. Why would he sponsor a bill that is not needed, okay, because this law allows them to turn people down for treatment, I suspect, even in a life-threatening emergency? I mean, I'll have to double-check, but, you know... Most likely, you know, or they could just say, well, it's not exactly an emergency, so we'll just send them somewhere else. Then the patient dies en route. And the girl kept saying, well, no. And I said, well, actually, yes. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, there are going to be people, according to this author of this uh, piece, Dr. Klugman, that would think, well, this is just in Florida, right? Not just in Florida. This, I think, is a model. I mean, look what happened to the repressive, insane anti-abortion laws in some states which would actually prosecute women with murder charges for having an abortion. You know, it led to the Dobbs decision. Okay? So, frankly, I think this could be a model for the rest of the nation. Not only does this Florida, new Florida law authorize and allow medical providers to deny, to refuse treatment. You know, the Pulse nightclub example was perfect. Under this law, the paramedics that got there 
could say, hmm, this is a gay nightclub. I'm not treating them. Yeah, they're bleeding out on the sidewalk. Oh, well, they shouldn't have been gay. That, and they'll just walk away. This law theoretically could allow them to do that. So not only does this law allow medical providers to refuse treatment based on their own bigotries, but it gets insurers off the hook as well. You know, the idea that an insurance company would have conscious, you know, issues of conscience as well. Specifically who? If you believe the nonsensical argument that corporations are people, okay, which persons in that healthcare insurance company represent the entire company and their conscience? It's nonsense. Okay. So, you know, in terms of a health uh, a professional standpoint, you know, we can only hope that the AMA code of conduct will hold up, and if a physician unethically refuses to treat a patient, they should face not only um, their license should not be brought up for review. I think that people that do this should lose their license, you know, and, and medical doctor's license or an RN. Those aren't rights. You are right to health care. Having a license to be an RN or to be a physician is not a right. It's a privilege. And it can be taken away. Now, <clears throat> Dr. Klugman is pushing for the idea that, you know, we really should urge, you know, at politicians at the federal level to override this. But you know what? This is something we have to deal with. Um, Dr. Klugman pointed out the fact that, you know, as educators, you know, educating future doctors, for instance, um, you know, when a student asks, quote, my religion says that being X is wrong, how can I keep my beliefs and still be a practicing health care provider? According to Dr. Klugman, quote, we can let them know the ethics of their profession overrides their personal biases, and, it, that, and that if they can't provide care for everyone, they should find a new profession, end quote. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. I just do. Um, one of the solutions that I would say to this really vile law and we're going to look into it, actually. We need to start a database and maintain one. And we need to let people know that they can report any, the name of any physician, registered nurse, paramedic, pharmacist, or insurance company that refuses to provide services based on their religious beliefs, ethical code, whatever. And then what we can do is, as the kids say, we can dox them. Okay. Right now we're doxing Dr. Redman. He has a family practice clinic, and frankly, he really should look for a new profession if he feels this way. This is outrageous. Okay. Um, and you know, originally this particular bill, I think, really focused on, you know, making life very difficult, more difficult for the LGBTQ community. But this also would allow uh, medical providers to discriminate against people of color if they have. There are some sects, certain bran certain branches of Christianity that are so ultra conservative. They think that being a person of color, being black, is like a punishment from God. And you know, remember there were people that that tried to justify slavery according to the Bible. So people of color could be discriminated against further with this one. 
definitely the LGBTQ community, and definitely religious minorities. What if the doc, Dr. Rudman is a practicing Catholic? He could be a conservative Catholic. Conservative Catholics uh, have a problem with what's known as the Second Vatican Council, or Vatican II. Now, Vatican II did a lot of things, and as I'm going to talk a little sooner, a little earlier about Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey, Vatican II, you know, Andrew Bailey and other attorney generals, they focused on the parts of Vatican II in their letter, their, their, their lawsuit against the Biden administration alleging religious discrimination. Um, by, they cited Vatican II as, you know, being just, just because we don't agree with the liberal readings in Vatican II doesn't make us bad people. But Vatican II wasn't just about a liberal reading. Mr. Bailey and these other AGs omitted a big part of Vatican II because then they would have be seen for the bigots they are. Vatican II absolves the Jewish people of what they call deicide. In other words, Vatican II said, no, the Jews did not kill Christ. Because it was that allegation that led to a millennia of anti-Semitic genocides. Make no mistake about it. And it was by the early church, sponsored by the early church. You don't have to look any further than the Spanish Inquisition in the 1490s. You know, basically the choices for Jews were either convert or leave. And if you don't do one or the other, then you will be tortured and you will be murdered. That was it. Okay. Part of my own family left Spain. We found the documentation because of the Inquisition. Um. You know, you have how the Catholic Church sponsored the Crusades that invaded Muslim lands. Muslims hadn't done anything to them. Once again, this is what we're talking about here. And there's a lot of conservative Catholics, I won't say all of them, that are absolutely outraged because they still believe in persecuting Jews. Okay? Last time I checked, you go back to the original story, I didn't know Pontius Pilate was a Jew, because newsflash, he wasn't. The time of Jesus, and, of his life, and, and, you know, the crucifixion, the Jews were conquered people. Okay? They point to, the biggest point to the Pharisees, which, again, were not the everyday people, and some of the Pharisees had actually been appointed by the Romans. So they were traitors anyway. The Jews had no say, but it was easier to blame them. You want to blame someone, blame Pontius Pilate. He's the one that ordered it. Blame Caesar. They ordered it. The Romans killed Christ, not the Jews. And Vatican II acknowledged that. So there's a lot of conservative Catholics. Their big problem with Vatican II is that the Pope said, you can't be hating on Jewish folk anymore. And it just just absolutely you know, outraged them. So we got a little off the topic there, but that's what this is. So one of the things that we can do is we can create a, do, a way to dox these medical professionals who want to discriminate against others and deny them care. Keep in mind, the sponsor of this law that became a law is a physician, Dr. Joel Rudman. Okay. And, um, you know, I think what we're going to start doing is each week we're going to start, you know, doxing some of these people. So send in the names. We'll read them on the air. Apparently, Dr. Rudman is 
a physician in the city of Navarre, Florida. Um, and it says here under his, you know, his own webpage, okay, under www.myfloridahouse.gov. I'm not making it up. Uh, let's see now. His education, Tulane University, University of Wales, University of Southern Mississippi, got his MD at University of Mississippi. Religious affiliation, Catholic. I'm not saying all Catholics are like this, mind you. I'm just saying this is what he does. And, you know, his medical clinic is Holly Navarre Med. Okay? So, very, very hypocritical. Uh, ironically, this bill is called Protections of Medical Conscience. Wow. You know, it, it's like up, up is down, down is up, right? Um, so now, in all fairness, according to another piece um, in the Pensacola News Journal by Brandon Gerard, there is a part of the legislation, this article says, quote, while the legislation says that health care providers can't use it to deny care based on a patient's race, color, religion, sex, or national origin, Attempts by Democratic lawmakers to extend those protections to gender identity and sexuality failed, end quote. Now, here's the thing. I don't believe that the the people that want to discriminate, yeah, they're going to discriminate based on race and religion. Of course they are. Um, They're going to discriminate based on sex. I mean, what if they are uh, religious fundamentalists and a woman is not married. She comes down, comes to them um, for, a, you know, a health care check, and she discloses to them that she's sexually active and she's not married, and she wants to, you know, be tested for some STDs. Under this bill, they could refuse. So don't tell me that this legislation says that they can't deny care based on a patient's race, color, religion, sex. No, that's nonsense. Of course they can't. These will just hide behind their conscience. Okay? So, in fact, um, Brandon Wolf is the press secretary for a group called Equality Florida. And he was quoted as saying the following, quote, This bill is a broad license for health care providers and insurance companies to refuse services to people. No one should be denied access to medical care. It gives healthcare providers and insurance companies an unprecedented religious or moral right to refuse to provide services. This puts patients in harm's way, um, is antithetical to the job of healthcare providers, and puts the most vulnerable Floridians in danger. Our state should be in the business of increasing access to medical care, not giving providers and companies a sweeping carve-out of non-discrimination laws. Shame on the governor for putting Floridians' health at risk to score cheap political points, end quote. Okay. Um, The ACLU of Florida called the bill, which is now the law, quote, shocking in its breadth, vagueness, and government overreach into the private sector and regulated businesses. They went on, Kara Gross, who's the legislative director and senior policy counsel of the ACLU of Florida, wrote in an op-ed that, quote, this bill will disrupt the delivery of health care as we know it. 
if signed into law, and it was, Florida's over 22 million residents' access to health care will be subject to the whims of someone else's alleged ethical beliefs, end quote. Okay? Uh, So, the bill itself went on to state that the intent of this law, they want to ensure that health care providers and payers, such as insurance companies, can care for patients, quote, in a manner consistent with their moral, ethical, and religious convictions and be free from threat of discrimination for providing conscience-based health care, end quote. Okay. going to tell you a little story. My mother passed away in 1996 after battling um, breast cancer that had metastasized. Um, she battled for like three and a half years. And here in St. Louis, there is no more Jewish hospital. Okay, there just isn't. It's disgusting. So she was in Missouri Baptist Hospital. That was where her doctor was. Um, and she was getting, she was weak. She was upset. She was crying. They had a cross above her bed, and she asked, "Could you please take that down?" And the nurse not only refused to take it down, she actually stood there and kind of bawled my mother out. Well, what, you want us to take down all the crosses? Other people's rights too. You know, and, and it's, you know, this is Christian. You just, you can't take it down. And my mother's crying, okay? She knows she's near death, and she's crying, and they wouldn't do it. So finally, I admit it, my mother was really just upset. And the reason why... We weren't raised to hate Christians. It has nothing to do with that. It's, in fact, you know, I believe Jesus, uh, you know, his, what he taught was beautiful. Why would I disagree with it? It came straight from Judaism. Um, but the idea of a cross over your bed, you know, Christians deify their, you know, you know, their savior. Okay, the the concept of uh, a savior, if you will is different in Judaism than it is in Christianity. In Christianity, Christians either make Jesus an actual deity or a demi-deity, which is apostasy for Jews and Muslims. Okay, the Jewish concept of a Messiah, if you will, is just a regular person. They are not a god. They're not the son or daughter of God, nothing like that. They could be a great teacher, even a prophet, but they are not a deity figure. And that is the source of the entire problem right there. And so it's apostasy, and I'm just going to say it, that bitch bigoted nurse wouldn't take it down. And my mother was starting to give up, and she was just in tears. So she fell asleep. I took the cross down, and I put it in someone else's bed drawer. Now, when I came back later, it was still up there. She was upset again because she saw. And so then I had to go to administration and tell them, you have a choice. Take the damn cross off her bed. The same argument. Well, you can't expect to take down all the crosses. Some people want that. I said, I have no problem with that. She just doesn't want it over her bed. So you can either do that or face a discrimination suit. And I know you can outlawyer me. I know you. we both know you have more money to outlawyer me. But I'll go to the press and I will cry my little eyes out. And then you can watch your stocks tank. They took it down. This is an example of religious discrimination. Okay? This happens all the time. Tired of it. 
And then, again, with this law, again, one of the questions I have very simply is, all right, if you say an insurer, an insurance company has the right to deny care based on their conscience, their their personal beliefs, show me which persons believe that. They can't because it's a corporation. You have people of all different faiths there. So – this was a stupidly written law. They can get. They can basically cut out that health that um, health insurance provision right there because it was stupidly written. There's no way you could actually prove which people in a healthcare corporation have an objection to basically treating people because of certain people because of their religious beliefs. You can't produce those individuals. So, Dr. Rudman, you wrote an incredibly damn fucking stupid bill. And then Governor DeSantis, excuse my language, signed off on it. Keep in mind, Ron DeSantis is a graduate of an Ivy League law school. He knows better. But, you know, he's trying to out-Nazi Trump is what it is. So this law will it was signed by DeSantis on May 11th, and it will go into effect on July 1st. A little more water. So, according to this particular article, <clears throat> the Pensacola News Journal, here's what the law does, and a little more specifics. Quote, healthcare providers and payors, payor being, in other words, an insurance company, can deny services based on their moral, ethical, and religious convictions. The first section of the bill lays out its intent to provide the, quote, right of medical conscience, end quote, to health care providers and payers. The bill says it's meant to ensure those providers and payers can care for patients in a manner that is consistent with their moral, ethical, and religious convictions. According to the ACLU, the bill defines a health care provider as, quote, any health care provider or facility licensed under a dozen different statutes, including doctors, nurses, pharmacies, hospitals, mental health providers, medical transport services, clinical lab personnel, nursing homes, and more, end quote. Now, you can read the full bill if you like. This, according to the Pensacola News Journal, this bill goes on to do the following, quote, it also states the types of health care services they can deny are broadly defined as, quote, including but not limited to medical research, medical procedures, testing, diagnosis, referral, dispensing medications, therapy, record keeping, and any other care or service, end quote. This article also goes on to say, quote, health care payors, that's insurance companies, folks, include, quote, any employer, let me go back up. This article says that health, quote, health care payers include, quote, any employer as well as any health insurer, health plan, HMO, or any other entity that pays for or arranges for payment of any health care service, end quote. And that's according to the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. Okay. This goes on. So I'm reading straight from the article. Quote, it blocks health. Quote, blocks health care providers and payors from liability for providing conscience-based health care. 
The first section also lays out its intent to ensure that health care providers and payors are free from the threat of discrimination for providing conscience-based health care, end quote. This bill also, according to the Pensacola News Journal, says the following, quote, prohibits medical boards. Department of Health from taking disciplinary action or denying licenses to such health care providers. The third section of the bill prohibits medical boards or the department, if there is no board, from taking disciplinary action against a health care practitioner's license or denying a license to an individual if they have publicly spoken or written about a health care service or policy. This includes, but is not limited to social media, according to the bill, end quote. Okay, so they have this little clause in there that says they can't discriminate based on race and religion and gender, but, you know, we know it's bullshit because, again, let's say straight woman, she's pregnant. Early in the pregnancy, they've already outlawed abortion, even to save a woman's life, but she's had an ectopic pregnancy, but she's unmarried. And let's say that hospital, Catholic hospital, is like, well, unmarried women shouldn't have sex. So you have an ectopic pregnancy, sweetie. Yeah, you're going to die too bad, and they can get away with it. Now, I want to know how in the hell Governor DeSantis, as well as uh, the Florida legislature, can prohibit medical boards from deciding what the criteria are for ethical and reasonable exercise of those professional licenses. Last time I checked, that Sanchez wasn't a medical doctor. This is such overreach, it's beyond the pale. This is a license to discriminate, and not just discriminate, it's a license to deny care to anybody these bigots don't like. It's just too vague, and there's practically no protection. And it lets your employer get into your personal business. It lets your employer discriminate and say, no, we're not paying for that insurance. Let the insurance company discriminate as well as providers. Essentially, you know, if you live in Florida and you are a member of the LGBTQ community or a person of color or a religious minority, such as myself, you know, being a Jew or an uppity woman who dares to have sex outside of marriage or have a pregnancy outside of marriage, newsflash, something happens to you under that law, basically they're going to let you bleed out on the sidewalk. That's what this is about. There's no legitimacy behind this. And they are trotting this out to see what they can get away with. And why? Because DeSantis is trying to out-Nazi Trump. That's all it is. And the insurance companies love it because, again, they don't have to pay out. Employers love it. If there was ever another reason for Medicare for all, this is it. This is it. But one of the things we can do to retaliate against these bigots is create a database. It's not slander. It's not libel. And it's not defamation. It's just telling the truth. Here is a list of providers and payors that includes employers and insurance companies who are basically going to deny treatment based on their ethical beliefs and dox them, dox them and bankrupt them. Okay. If you live in Florida under this vile law, if you're a woman and you're sexually active like normal 
and you're not married, lie. Do yourself a favor, say you're married, make up something, buy a cheap-ass ring. If you're gay, you're going to have to go back into the closet. Sad but true. Just so you won't die through denial of health care. And the fact that this bill was sponsored by a medical doctor is vile. Okay? So there's more, you know, articles here. There's this. I found out about this, you know, this past week. It made my blood boil. Um, you know, there's articles all over here. You've got the basic, you know, rundown here. Okay. Um, we do have the ACLU of Florida speaking out once again. Um, and actually, I read all that. So, um, but I'm going to read some of it again. So, Kara Gross, the legislative director and senior policy counsel, the ACLU of Florida, um, you know, we went over what this bill covers, okay? Um, but there's some quotes here by Kara Gross that actually echo what I was saying, too. According to Kara Gross, quote, this bill is shocking in its breadth and vagueness, it's been passed, by the way, and government overreach into the private sector and regulated business. It goes far beyond any alleged claims of religious freedom, as it applies not just to religious objections, but also to moral and ethical beliefs. Does the legislature really want to force private businesses to retain employees who refuse to do their job on the basis of a subjectively held alleged uh, ethical or moral belief? She goes on to say, quote, what does this even mean? There is no definition of moral or ethical in the bill. Who determines what constitutes a sincerely held moral or ethical belief? And more importantly, why should access to health care be denied on the basis of vague, imprecise, and subjective terms? We have grave concerns that this bill will lead to discriminatory health care practices and that LGBTQ plus individuals, people of color, and those marginalized in our communities will be disproportionately harmed, end quote. And one of the things I want to point out is while they're trying to hash out and argue over what's a moral or ethical belief in a medical emergency, precious moments are ticking away, and that's when a patient can die. Like I said, They'll be arguing about their, you know, their precious religious beliefs as you bleed out on the sidewalk. Tara Gross goes on to say, goes on and says the following, quote, what if someone's ethical or moral belief is that women should not have babies unless they are married or that poor people shouldn't have more than one child or if they believe it's unethical to bring a child into the world given overpopulation and climate change? Can they refuse to provide prenatal health care to that pregnant person? Can they refuse to assist in labor and delivery? Can their employer refuse to provide health insurance to cover pregnancy and labor and delivery? Can a nurse refuse to return calls to the patient or schedule follow-up appointments? Or what if a pharmacist is morally opposed to preventing pregnancy? Can they refuse to sell the morning-after pill or refill a prescription for birth control? These and many similar issues beg the question of whether we really want to provide a state-sanctioned license to discriminate based on someone's subjective, moral, or ethical beliefs. Okay, she goes on to say, I'm going to keep reading what she said because it, it echoes what I said, but she says it so well. She goes on to say, quote, this legislature needs to think long and hard about the potential consequences of such a wide-ranging bill. 
The bill is so overly broad that it includes not just doctors, but any health care provider or facility licensed under a dozen different statutes. I, I read all this already. Okay. Um, I'm skipping ahead. Her final quote is, quote, freedom of religion is one of our most fundamental rights as Americans. That freedom does not give any of us the right to harm others. And this bill goes far beyond religious objections and allows people to refuse to provide health care healthcare services based on alleged ethical or moral beliefs. Medical standards, not individual subjective beliefs, should guide medical and healthcare services, end quote. And I'm going to add to this story. I agree with Dr. Krugman, Dr. Klugman from DePaul University. If any medical provider, that means paramedic, pharmacist, therapist, nurse, doctor, if they feel that they can't treat everybody equally, if they feel that their, medi- that their ethical and religious beliefs should allow them to deny services to people that they don't like, they need to find another profession. Get the hell out. But maybe we can actually help them by making sure that they have no clients. We need to dox these people, folks. Okay. Alrighty. So, again, this was, um, yeah, this is just vile. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Okay. Mm. Okay, so that's what's happening in Florida right now. Don't be shocked. It can come to you, too. It just can. All right. Going to take a little drink of my water here. Hope you learned something just now. Now we're going to go on to story number two. And that's about the newly installed Missouri Attorney General, Andrew Bailey. Now, previously, we we've, this is our third Attorney General in a few short years, okay, because Josh Hawley used to be the Attorney General of Missouri. He got elected to the U.S. Senate, God help us, ironically. And so after he left, the governor, Mike Parson, appointed um, Eric Schmidt. Eric Schmidt also ran for the U.S. Senate, and now he's our second U.S. Senator. Eric Schmidt, it should be noted, was one of the um, attorney generals, and he was an office holder in RAGA, the Republican Attorney General's Association, and he was one of the ringleaders that helped bring about those frivolous lawsuits uh, for Stop the Steal. He's in it up to his eyeballs, and he was rewarded with, you know, the U.S. Senate. So after Mr. Schmidt left, the governor appointed Andrew Bailey. Now, (coughs) excuse me. Mr. Bailey is proud of his record. You know, on his own website, he talks about being, you know, a religious man, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, he served in Iraq. He's proud of that, actually. You know, for, forget the fact that, and this is an aside, that the Iraq, the war in Iraq was totally illegal, crime against humanity, uh, it was based on a pile of lies. Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11. But 
you know, we did it anyway. So apparently Mr. Bailey, I don't know if he's proud of the fact that our soldiers murdered a lot of civilians in Iraq, but I don't think he's ashamed of it either, just my opinion. So just recently, and this is really, um, God, I couldn't believe he did this. Um, recently, this, this story backs up a little bit. So recently on Andrew Bailey's, Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey's own, web, own Twitter feed, he retweeted, and this is something, okay, he retweeted the following. And this is a, um, his Twitter account is Attorney General Andrew ba- Bailey at AG Andrew Bailey. And he retweeted this from Fox News. The following, quote, the George Soros bankrolled prosecutor, I'll say it again, the George Soros bankrolled prosecutor in St. Louis who's facing an effort by Missouri's Attorney General to compel her to resign for allegedly neglecting her duties is now being hit with new complaints of negligence and potential misconduct in doing her job. Now, um, he also retweeted, Soros-backed prosecutor mired in scandal facing new complaints of negligence misconduct. All right. Now, to those of you that are a little naive, why is this an anti-Semitic trope? Well, here's the deal. Um, Just as I said earlier in the show, Shakespeare created Shylock, an anti-Semitic trope that's supposed to symbolize all Jews. Soros is a new boogeyman. Jewish billionaire survived the Holocaust. He gives to liberal causes. And so um, he has been, you know, the name Soros has been used as the ultimate boogeyman. Um, you know, I'm just going to say it, okay? There's a bad word for Jews. You know, just like referencing black people, you don't use the N-word. With Jews, you don't use the K-word or the sh- K-word. But I'm going to say it because the sh- K-word is to use the phrase goddamn sheeny kike. That's what it is, end quote. I quoted it. So saying Soros-backed prosecutor or Soros-bankrolled prosecutor, calling Jews a bunch of kikes. It's done with, uh, again, dog whistle code, but the white supremacists and neo-Nazis know exactly what he means. Keep in mind, the name Soros and Soros bankrolled is also used by, it was used by prominent neo-Nazi Andrew Anglin in his, I think it's been taken down now, in his old uh, website, Der Stormer. Okay? Mr. Bailey knows better. He knows what he's tweeting, retweeting out. And for an attorney general to do this is outrageous. Okay? Absolutely outrageous. So this goes back a little further, okay? Now, Mr. Bailey was also recently on the show, uh, let's see now, with the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show. Again, um, you know, they're known for their rabid racism and anti-Semitism. They just do it in a quiet way. Um, You know, these these anti-Semites are really sneaky, all right? Uh, I remember growing up, you know, my mother used to say, you know, racism, it's obvious a lot of times. Anti-Semitism, it's more subtle, harder to prove. So they hide behind these coded language. Soros is bigot code for Jewish kite. I'm just going to say it. That's it. 
and that's what they mean, and it's used by neo-Nazis like Viktor Orban, okay? It's used by neo-Nazis like Marie Le Pen in France. It's used by neo-Nazis like the Italian, the new Italian bitch that's in charge of Italy. So, once again, there's no guesswork here, and Mr. Bailey knows that. So, what is this really about? Well, here's the thing. Um, when he talks about the prosecutor, and this is something that was actually here. Let me scroll down here. Actually spoken about on um, – I just lost my place here. Okay. So, okay, let me back up a little bit here. Again, going back to the idea of George Soros or Soros bankrolled, Soros-funded as um, anti-Semitic tropes. To go a little further, and this was as documented um, by Year Rosenberg at The Atlantic. Elon Musk did this. Elon Musk, um, and what he had to say is that, quote, criticizing George Soros is not inherently anti-Semitic, but casting him as an avatar of evil is. That is the perfect language right there. I'll read it again. This is what Rosenberg had to write, and it's, it's put very beautifully. Quote, Criticizing George Soros is not inherently anti-Semitic, but casting him as an avatar of evil is. And that's what they mean when they keep saying, Soros, Soros. It's not innocent. So, you know, apparently, oh, God, a couple days ago, Musk, you know, tweeted a couple of ignorant things. He echoed what uh, Rosenberg called, quote, paranoid anti-Semitic conspiracy theorists. Um, Apparently, Musk tweeted, quote, George Soros reminds me of Magneto, okay? Uh, And then he went on to say he wants to erode the very fabric of civilization. Soros hates humanity, end quote. Okay. If I were George Soros, I would sue Elon Musk for libel and defamation right there. That's outrageous. Magneto, if you're not a comic book aficionado, aficionado, it's a a supervillain in the Marvel Universe, um, and the reason he did this is because Magneto was, according to the story, a Jewish Holocaust survivor, and, and Soros was actually a, a Holocaust survivor, Jewish Holocaust survivor. And, you know, Soros is a very rich man. He's a philanthropist, and he is considered the Democratic Party's largest single donor. And that's as documented by the WallStreetJournal.com, hardly a bastion of liberal thought. Um, again, Musk isn't taking, he's not objecting to what Soros does. He's casting Soros as this symbol of all evil. That's what's anti-Semitic. So when Attorney General Andrew Musk, I mean, sorry, Andrew Bailey, um, says Soros-funded prosecutor, he knows what he's doing. All right. And this goes back to actually a controversy. Okay. I lost my place here. Uh, I lost my place. I'm sorry, folks. So here in St. Louis, we just lost, St. Louis just lost their um, circuit attorney, Kim Gardner. All right. Now, Kim Gardner ran as a progressive. She is a black woman, a black female prosecutor. And um, she was working to, one, get rid of cash bail because it discriminates against the poor closing down the city workhouse, things like that. Now, I don't know Miss Gardner personally, and there were also allegations that she was uh, just really bad at administration. 
Um, maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. I don't know. But what I do know is that Kim Gardner, and this was as reported by um, uh, Dr. Ritchie on Indisputable on the Young Turks, that, you know, apparently Kim Gardner was really responsible for working to free a man that had been imprisoned for 33 years for murder, citing evidence of innocence, okay? Obviously a black man. So this was an article written by Jim Salter, the Associated Press. It goes on to say St. Louis's top prosecutor has asked the court to set aside the conviction of a man who has spent 33 years in prison for a killing he says he didn't commit, after witnesses who testified against him later said authorities had pressured him to lie. This was published May 15th by the Associated Press. Okay. And so this goes on to say, quote, St. Louis's top prosecutor has asked a court to set aside the conviction of a man who spent 33 years in prison. He goes for murder he didn't commit. Um, in a request to overturn Christopher Dunn's first-degree murder conviction, St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner cited, quote, clear and convincing evidence, end quote, that he had not been involved in the 1990 shooting death of Rico Rogers. Uh, Gardner said in a statement, quote, we are hopeful his wrongful conviction is set aside for the sake of Mr. Dunn, his family, and the people of the city of St. Louis. Okay, Gardner, this article goes on to say, and I'm reading straight from the article, Gardner filed a motion with St. Louis Circuit Court on Friday to vacate Dunn's conviction. It wasn't immediately clear if the state attorney general's office would oppose the motion. A spokesman for Attorney General Andrew Bailey didn't immediately respond to a Monday request for comment. Gardner, a Democrat, succeeded in February in getting a court to set aside the conviction of another man, Lamar Johnson, who had spent nearly three decades in prison. Gardner took up his cause after an investigation her office conducted with help from the Innocence Project, convinced her he was innocent in a 1994 killing. Johnson was convicted largely on the testimony of an eyewitness who later alleged that he had been coerced into his statement. Both are black men. The overturning of Johnson's conviction, I'm reading from the article again, was a rare victory in a challenging year for Gardner, the city's first black prosecutor. She has been under fire for months from critics who contend that under her watch, too many cases, including homicides, have gone unpunished, that victims and their families are left uninformed, and that her office is too slow to take on cases brought by police. Bailey, okay, so I'm still reading from the article, it's Andrew Bailey, the reporter. Bailey, a Republican who unsuccessfully sought to keep Johnson locked up, filed a court, a court motion seeking her removal, Gardner's removal. Criticism escalated when recent cases had to be delayed because prosecutors from the understaffed office failed to show up in court. Gardner said the attacks were politically and racially motivated, but she announced this month she would resign effective June 1st. Republican Governor Mike Parson will replace her, will, I'm sorry, will appoint her replacement. Okay, this goes on. It gets worse. So Dunn, who is black, I'm reading again from, this is from ABC News, uh, was 18, well, ABC News is running this article. I stand corrected. I want to give you the right information. It's Jim Salter of the Associated Press wrote it. <clears throat> so it goes on to say, again, from the article, Dunn, 51, who is black, was 18 when Rogers was killed. Among the key evidence used to convict him was testimony from two boys who were at the scene of the shooting. Both later recanted their testimony, saying they had been coerced by police and prosecutors. A judge had, has heard Dunn's innocence case before. 
At an evidentiary hearing in 2020, Judge William Pickle agreed that a jury would likely find Dunn not guilty based on new evidence. But Hickel, the judge, declined to exonerate Dunn, citing, get this, a 2016 Missouri Supreme Court ruling that only death row inmates, not those like Dunn sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, could make a freestanding claim of actual innocence. A 2021 law now allows prosecutors to seek court hearings in cases with new evidence of a wrongful conviction. It has led to the freeing of another longtime inmate, Kevin Strickland, who served more than 40 years for a Kansas City triple killing. Johnson was the second inmate freed as a result of the new law. Dunn's attorneys at the Midwest Innocence Project said he should be the third. Okay. To quote the Innocence Project lawyers, quote, we are confident that when faced with such evidence, any court will find, as Judge Hickel did nearly three years ago, that Christopher Dunn is innocent, the group said in a news release. So why am I reading this? I'm reading this because, again, Andrew Bailey, the new attorney general, as well as Governor Mike Parson, were basically made to look like bigoted liars when Kip Gardner, working with the Innocence Project, proved that these were illegitimate uh, prosecutions, period, that these were wrongful convictions. So, of course, what did they want to do? They used the doctrine of preemption to get rid of Kim Gardner, to pressure her to leave. Basically, what they did was they said, look, Kim Gardner is either going to leave, this is what it amounts to, or we're going to remove her from the state and appoint someone else, which not only is unjust to Kim Gardner, but it's also, it also disenfranchises an entire city of voters. See, that's why the whole idea of preemption is like the best friend of Jim Crow, to maintain Jim Crow, and that's what it was about. So here's it, it, it even gets better than this, okay? So Governor Parson appointed someone t- to take Kim Gardner's place, and I believe his name is Gabe Gore, and he's from the law firm of Dowd Bennett. Now, Mr. Gore has a, really an impressive resume, okay? Um, he is another black prosecutor, okay? So we got the window dressing, you know, the cosmetic. Mr. Gore was working in one of the top corporate law firms. One of his law professors at the University of Chicago was Barack Obama. Sounds lovely. Okay. Mr. Gore's not stupid. He has to know he's being used politically because then the governor stood there and said, we, are, we will not tolerate racism in the state of Missouri. Really? Because as long as I've lived here, they tolerate it quite well. Um, so they got the cosmetic. They got a black man from a corporate law firm to take Kim Gardner's place. I don't know Mr. Gore. I hope he does a fair job. I suspect, however, he's going to probably turn a blind eye on these cases. That remains to be seen. I could be wrong. But, you know, once again, this particular case, what Mr. Bailey did, and then he retweeted the Soros Soros bankrolled prosecutor. That's Kim Gardner. You know, I said it before on the on the show. Often, racism and anti-Semitism go hand in hand. They just do. And the reason being, you know, prior to 
the new immigration law, I think, was in the 1970s. The United States was under the very restricted immigration law of 1924. And so, like, in states like Missouri in the deep Midwest, uh, when I was growing up, there were other minorities, but not in great numbers. The two main minorities in Midwest states, like in Missouri anyway, were blacks and Jews. That's it. So I think, you know, that made it easy for the bigots to kind of focus on us. Um, and, again, often racism and anti-Semitism go hand in hand. They just do. And this case is no different. So, again, you know, Mr. Bailey knew what he was doing. And so when he retweeted from Fox, Soros bankrolled prosecutor, he was talking about Kim Gardner. Now, what makes it even more shameful is then when Governor Parson, you know, stood up there to appoint Mr. Gore, there was the first black female mayor, Tashara Jones, standing next to Mr. Bailey and Mr. Parson, who, you know, frankly, in my opinion, Mr. Bailey and Governor Parson the only thing missing was their white KKK hoods. And there you have Mayor Tashara Jones standing there. And, and I just thought, and then we had clergy as well. You know, maybe Mr. Gore, I, he has wonderful credentials. I'm not trying to badmouth the man, but <clears throat> I'm sure one of the reasons he was picked, oh, well, one, cosmetically it looks good. Barack Obama was one of his law instructors. woo so Barack Obama is not a progressive. He never was. He's corporate. Let's cut the crap here, okay? Um, and I suspect Mr. Gore is the same. I think he's going to really be more worried about how corporations can continue to profit off the city of St. Louis. I doubt if he's going to work very hard with the Innocence Project. And the Innocence Project has been incredibly effective, okay? Um so once again, you know, Mr. Bailey, he knew what he was doing. You know, he retweeted an anti-Semitic trope. And then to add a little more to it, <sighs> apparently Mr. Bailey was listed in a letter to the Department of Justice. They're suing the Department – I think they're suing the Biden administration um, – because Mr. Bailey, along with several other Republican attorney generals, are angry. They're accusing the FBI and the Department of Justice of religious persecution, you know, and because, again, apparently there was this investigation and study that cited that certain religious fundamentalists do pose a danger to democracy itself. And Mr. Bailey, in his letter, um, let's see now if I can find it here. You know, he basically made it sound like, you know, the Biden administration is discriminating against more conservative Catholics, uh, you know, saying which which ones are good Catholics versus bad Catholics. And I think he did mention the Second Vatican Council. So we're kind of coming full circle now in this show. Uh, and, you know, when you read this letter and when you read about what these conservative um, attorney generals are saying – you know, they don't like the Second Vatican Council or Vatican II because of its liberal decisions. What they omit in that letter is that, and this may be the real reason why a lot of conservatives hate Vatican II, they conveniently omitted how Vatican II also, as I said earlier in the show, absolved the Jews of deicide. In other words, 
Vatican II said the Jews didn't kill Jesus. You don't, we don't have any grounds to persecute them anymore. And honestly, it's my own opinion, I think that's Mr. Bailey's real reason for hating Vatican II, if he does. And I think it's a real reason why conser- a lot of conservative Christians, hate, of conservative Catholics, hate Vatican II. Okay? You know, it's one of those things that just the omission of how Vatican II absolved the Jews of deicide, that was glaring. It's not, sometimes not what they say, it's also what they omit. Okay? So that's what we're dealing with here. And, you know, again, um, you know, the George Soros bankrolled prosecutors, Kim Gardner. All right. And Mr. Bailey managed to roll up his racism right in there with his anti-Semitism. I mean, that that's really an economy of bigotry when you think about it. Okay? And Mr. Bailey's retweeted some other stuff, too. Um, on May 11th, I think he retweeted or tweeted it's on his Twitter feed, Quote, but it is the job of the voter to make sure that George Soros and other coastal elites aren't buying their way into our justice system. Again, it's what – it's basically not – you can criticize George Soros, but when you try to make Soros the, you know, again, the symbol of pure evil, that's what's anti-Semitic about it. And that's Mr. Mr. Bailey signaling it. He knows what he's doing. He just does. Okay, let's move on, folks. This was an interesting little little talk, wasn't it? So, you know, once again, oh, one other thing about Mr. Bailey, uh, Andrew Bailey here here in Missouri. You know, he loves using the doc the legal doctrine of preemption to say unseat a liberal prosecutor who was duly elected by the citizens of St. Louis. So again, part of that pressure resulted in disenfranchising the citizens of St. Louis, and that was no accident. Um, and, and, you know, Mr. Bailey keeps claiming that, you know, you just you can't, you can't, um, you can't do this, okay? But it's here. I've got it written down here. Hold on a second. So, Mr. Bailey likes selective preemption. Again, what happened to Kim, Kim Gardner? They disenfranchised the voters. It's a relic from Jim Crow. There's both a racist component to it and an anti-Semitic trope. It's dog whistle. No one called him out on it. All the, all the stories. You know, like KMOV here locally, the local. Uh, um, CBS News affiliate here. I think it's still CBS anyway. They ran a story and didn't even mention the, t- the retweet of Soros bankrolled. Now, once again, they've got all that, and they're say the state's saying that the city of St. Louis doesn't have a right to pick their own prosecutor. Now, if Miss Gardner was truly like uh, ineffectual or criminal or, you know, if she was incompetent, then it was up to the city voters to remove her, you know, for misfeasance or malfeasance or whatever, and then have a new election, not have the state do it. Uh, And, you know, here at the same time, Republican conservatives in Missouri keep complaining that the federal law can't preempt 
state law. Just recently, um, in Missouri, the GOP-dominated legislature decided that they won't be held to federal law regarding guns at all. And they're saying the feds can't tell us what we can do in our own communities. But, ironically, they commit the very offense against citizens in the city of St. Louis, the majority of which are, yes, people of color. Okay? You know, and once again, if Kim Gardner refused to prosecute certain people, again, prosecutors are allowed, prosecutorial discretion, I suspect as a lawyer, she looked at the individual facts of the case. Um, But, you know, in this instance, Mr. Bailey chose not to pursue, I mean, so basically Mr. Bailey chose to pursue, though, a blanket refusal of gun laws from the feds minus facts. So in one side of his mouth, Andrew Bailey and the Republicans are saying, hmm, we're not going to allow the citizens of St. Louis to elect their own circuit attorney. No, because we don't like what she's doing. So we're going to pressure or force her out of office. Then we'll get the governor to appoint this nice corporate attorney who is a black man. But again, Dowd Bennett, he's a corporate attorney. Okay? He did used to be, I think, a federal prosecutor some time ago. But again, he's a corporate attorney, and I find it difficult to believe that he will be able to just turn his back on his corporate law firm. I just don't buy it. But they're okay with doing that, but Mr. Bailey chose a to push a blanket refusal of gun laws from the feds minus facts. Seems to me Mr. Andrew Bailey is guilty of the very crime he's accusing Ms. Gardner of, all the while pushing anti-Semitic tropes. You know, and as for Governor Parson, I don't, he's not going to listen to this broadcast, but Governor Parson, yes, this state is incredibly racist, always has been, and it's anti-Semitic. Make no mistake about it. Okay. All righty. So now we're going to go to our new feature. Give me a minute here. We're going to go to my little Margie. So i got to scroll down here. Takes me a minute. In fact, what I'm going to do is put on the intro music so I find it. We are back. Now we are going to go back to our semi-regular new feature, My Little Margie. Uh, Those of you who don't recall, in the 50s there was this show called My Little Margie. And it was about the hapless uh, misadventures of this young woman who lived with her daddy. It's the 1950s. And, you know, she wanted to be independent, but, you know, it's 1950, so... Ah, oh, sweet young thing. She will find her a husband, you know. And when she messes up, well, that's my little Margie, okay, pushing this, you know, idea of women being incompetent. Now, unfortunately, in Marjorie Taylor Greene's, you know, purview, you know, incompetence would be, you know, an accurate portrayal. 
So here we go. First, we start with our theme music. Okay. <laughs> I love that. That just cracks me up. Okay. So what did Marjorie Taylor Greene get into this week? All righty. Well, apparently, little Margie is scared of her colleague, Congressman Jamal Bowman. Now, Jamal Bowman, I feel kind of a kinship with because before he was a U.S. congressman, you know, I read his bio, and um, he was, I think it's classroom teacher. I know he was a school counselor, and then he went on to become a middle school principal. Now, I was an allied profession. I was a speech-language pathologist, and I spent a lot of time you know, in the middle schools, which is a rough job, okay? You have to have not only a lot of patience, but you also have to uh, have a good sense of humor, all right? So there's this piece here by Jared Gans, and this is in, okay, next star. We've got the actual encounter, too. And the headline reads, um, oh, this is from the, okay, The Hill. Apparently, Green says she feels threatened by Bowman after Capitol Steps encounter. Uh, Bowman rips Green for reckless, dangerous remarks about Capitol encounter. And this was written by Jared Gans. Um, so Representative Jamal Bowman, Democrat, New York, black man, um, again, former middle school principal, God bless him. He criticized Marjorie Taylor Greene this, uh, just this past Thursday for what he called reckless and dangerous remarks because little Margie said she felt threatened following an encounter that the two had on the steps of the Capitol. Now, Bowman rightfully mentioned the lynching of Emmett Till in 1955, as well as the police execution in Ferguson of Michael Brown in 2014, as he criticized Green. And she basically rightfully said she was putting him in danger, remarked she was playing, again, there's that word, trope, playing on racist tropes, quote, that demonize black men, end quote. Um, Joe Bowman said, quote, Green is not even using a dog whistle, but a bullhorn to put a target on my back. Throughout history, black men have continually been characterized as aggressive because, one, of our skin color, but, two, because we happen to be outspoken and passionate about certain issues, end quote. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene said that Bowman has a history of aggression toward her and others, and she's concerned. Um, she said, quote, I'm going to try and imitate her really backwards um, little accent, yelling, shouting, raising his voice. He has aggressive, his physical mannerisms are aggressive. I think there's a lot of concern about Jamal Bowman, and I am concerned about it. I feel threatened by him, end quote. Now, Bowman explained he didn't invade Green's personal space at all, and I saw the video. He didn't, all right? Um, he did say with, you know, the good sense of humor that a middle school principal has to have, quote, anyone who has interacted with me, anyone who knows me, any reporters here know I'm middle school principal energy. I'm teacher energy. I'm always loving and engaging and friendly, except when kids are being killed in our streets. Everyone should be outraged about that, end quote. 
So the exchange happened Wednesday, this past Wednesday. Um, Bowman and AOC interrupted George Santos uh, while Santos was responding to questions from reporters. Now, Bowman and AOC yelled that Santos really shouldn't be in office still. And given the fact that Santos is under indictment for 13 felonies, no, he shouldn't be. He should step aside. Um, you know, keep in mind, Al Franken, who was a senator, a liberal, a liberal Democrat senator, was accused of saying inappropriate things, not accused of rape or anything, but inappropriate things and being touchy. He just, you know, quit being a senator. But, you know, here, Santos is under, you know, he's under indictment for some serious crimes. So Bowman and Green, um, according to this, had a heated exchange. Um, you know, Bowman said that the GOP is hanging on by a thread. He told her that, you know, she needs to say she needs to save the party with quote no more QAnon, no more MAGA, and no more debt ceiling nonsense end quote. Um, so then Green responded by chanting, "Impeach Biden, do something." And, and Bowman told the party need to do something about guns. And Green said, "Right, so close the border." Okay, so apparently green said that Bo- that Jamal Bowman led a mob when she went to New York to protest the indictment of federal of press of Trump on felony charges you know that he falsified business records and she said that Bowman quote shouted at the top of his lungs okay and you know and then cursed at her and called her a white supremacist to which she takes great offense and then green said quote that is by calling a person of color the n-word which should never happen calling me a white supremacist is equal that and that is wrong and then she said she feared for her life i saw both videos okay and bowman was am- animated when they were in new york first of all green is not from new york she came to support donald trump fine whatever bowman was nowhere near green all right but she couldn't handle the fact that New Yorkers hated her guts. All right. So, you know, once again, and, you know, Bowman said that, you know, Green's comments, that this is what white supremacists do. To quote Bowman, he said, quote, unfortunately, white supremacists, historically, this is what they do. They try to dehumanize black people, black skin, and the black humanity so they can be more likely targeted for harm, end quote. And that is very true. No doubt about that. The actual encounter. Let's see if we can um, get this. Hopefully you'll be able to hear it. Let's see now. Trying. My computer's a little slow. Hopefully you'll hear it. So, is it starting? Come on. You know, oh, here we go. Okay, so I'm looking at M. Green's arms. I was like, "Good God! If anybody should be scared, it's Bowman. She's got she's got uh, guns bigger than Bowman's."
Okay, so you could hear that, again, he was laughing, all right? And, you know, I looked at that, and I looked at those guns on Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'm thinking, damn, that woman's got some big arms. I mean, she looked like she could take him, okay? I was thinking if anyone should be scared, it's Bowman, because, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene's got some guns on her like a man. You know, maybe that's why she hates trans people so much, you know? Is our little Margie taking supplements because you know her her arms look a bit less than feminine her arms look kind of manly all right okay i'm joking but the point is this is what we're dealing with here so our little margie was basically trying to push a lynch mob because you know what that is what these bigots do and all I can say is, you know, God bless um, Jamal Bowman. So we're going to go back to our music here to end our little Margie segment. And that was my little Margie. What will Neanderthal Margie do next? That Neanderthal brow, those big guns. Is our little Margie taking male steroids? Hmm. Who knows? So, so long from my little Margie on PNN. (laughs) Okay. So, that is it. Now, we need to go. We're just, we're cutting this kind of close tonight. Um, We're going to go. It's almost time for our dubious our very important jackass of the week award so give me a second here while i find the music or rather the sound give me a minute again this is a live show folks all right there's there's nothing that is uh edited out we make mistakes we make mistakes okay so now we are getting ready for our very very uh, enlightened and important jackass of the week award Give it a minute. Come on. Welcome to PNN's Jackass of the Week Award. And you know what? There were so many jackasses to pick from this week. It was difficult, but we did, We, we it was a close call. But we found a very important jackass, or should I say Jenny? And once again, our Jackass of the Week Award goes to none other than my little Margie, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who once again proved that, gosh, you know what? You can take the girl out of the country, but you can't take the jackass out of the girl. Um, she decided that Jamal, Congressman Jamal Bowman was dangerous. And, you know, the thing is this. If you're going to be a propagandist and a liar, you really should have, be smarter and have a good memory, which I don't think she has, my opinion. So, again, uh, once again, Jackass of the Week, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Play on. Play on, Marge, little Margie. You never sounded or looked so good. All righty. That's our show for this week. I hope you learned something from it. Again, this is a live show. Mistakes will be made. 
Um, we will be talking more about the doctrine of preemption because it's really very dangerous. Um, it's not just the preemption that federal law supersedes state law. This is preemption where states, and really the history of Jim Crow, use preemption uh, in individual states to, on the federal level, refuse to follow federal civil rights laws, and on the local level, refuse to allow local municipalities the right to you know, play fair. They had to follow Jim Crow instead. And we will be talking about that. Um, I would remind you that uh, you can find my writings on Nation of Change. I am a um, featured columnist. You can also go to Eurasia Review. Uh, if you want some older stuff, you can just Google my name, Janine Moloff, and you will find I, I've published extensively on Huffington Post and many others. Um, Again, I hope you learned something this week. Uh, we're going to continue to speak truth to power. And, um, you know, uh, by whatever you believe in, good night and God bless us all, whether you believe or not. Um, and as for the uh, Missouri Attorney General, Andrew Bailey, who decided to go and use that anti-Semitic trope, I say, and basically what I told him was go take a flying shit in the ocean. Bye-bye.